Welcome to Radio Maria England for our Science and Faith programme, where we will be exploring the relationship between science and faith from a Christian perspective. If you enjoy this episode and know of someone who would love to give it a listen, or halfway through you need to press pause and come back to it at a later time, you can find Radio Maria England Science and Faith on all major podcast platforms. This is Marta speaking. And this is Stefan speaking. We are your presenters for the program, and we would like to welcome you to the episode on God and Mathematics. Today we'll be diving into the realm of mathematics and try to investigate what maths can tell us about God. We've got the honor and pleasure to have one guest speaker, the mathematician Professor Francis Sue with us, and also Father Robert, who's been with us since the beginning of the radio show. Francis Sue is Professor of Mathematics at Hadvimat College, current Vice President of the American Mathematical Society and former President of the Mathematical Association of America. He received his PhD from Harvard University. He also has a passion for teaching and popularizing mathematics through writing and public engagement. His work has been featured in Quanta magazine, Wired and the New York Times, among others. He has received numerous accolades such as the Harmos Ford Award. More recently, his book Mathematics for Human Flourishing won the 2020 Euler Book Prize. It offers an inclusive vision of what maths is, who it's for and why anyone should learn it. Professor Sue, a pleasure to have you with us today. I've always admired individuals who are keen on mathematics and find their work fascinating, um, namely Alan Turing, find his work in the Second World War absolutely incredible. I did biomed at uni, so I will be all ears this episode. I'll ask a few questions here and there. I'd love to hear from you, the specialist, what your branch of mathematics is all about. What are you interested in? What are you researching? Thank you very much uh, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I uh, study problems that are at the intersection of combinatorics, which you can think of as clever ways of counting things, geometry, which you probably know a little bit about from maybe your high school days, and topology, which is you can think of as the study of how you can stretch things. And um, some of the problems I study are motivated from the social sciences, so problems about um, how people interact with one another. Um, this is an area called game theory. Uh, in particular, I study the mathematics of fair decisions. And some of the problems I work on also relate to what's called voting theory, uh, trying to understand better ways or uh, how to construct ways for, for people to vote and what some of those properties of those systems are. And these relate to geometry and combinatorics through thinking about spaces, abstract spaces of possibilities. That's one way of thinking about it. We're also very lucky to have Father Robert there with us, who is our Catholic theology and science advisor. Father Robert is a Dominican friar who is currently acting Catholic chaplain for the University of Cambridge at Fisher House. Before joining the order, he obtained a PhD in mathematics from the University of Cambridge and worked as a software engineer. He's now working on his PhD in philosophy, which is on quantum physics and common sense, or in other words, what St. Thomas Aquinas would make of quantum physics. So welcome, Father Roberts. So having a PhD in mathematics seems quite unusual for a Catholic priest. Could you tell our listeners a bit about how this has impacted your vocation? Uh, yeah, well, for most of my life, I, I had my heart set on being a mathematician rather than a Catholic priest. So I uh, went off to university and studied uh, uh, mathematics um, at Cambridge, spent nine years uh, studying mathematics uh, um, uh, from the age of uh, sort of 19 until uh, 
uh, I guess I was about uh, uh, 20, uh, 28, <laughs> so it's a, a long, long time. Uh, but it was actually uh, in, in Cambridge uh, when I was studying mathematics that I met the Dominican Order. And uh, so this is a kind of actually, uh, this brought me into contact with with the Dominicans and um, eventually I decided that I, I I didn't want to become a mathematician for the rest of my life, but it was actually, it, it, it led to a sequence of events that resulted me in entering the Dominican order. And as it turns out, uh, mathematics has been uh, rather more useful than I thought it would be, because uh, one of the kind of big questions that is on people's minds is the kind of relationship between faith and science, and having a, a good background in, in mathematics is, is an opening to really get into really understanding um, or things like, like uh, contemporary physics and how that might relate to uh, questions of our faith. So I think we're in very good hands today, Stefan, so take it away. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I hope we are going to investigate some of these issues today. So as we've heard and discussed, all of our guests today have much expertise in mathematics. So the first question is, why did you decide to become a mathematician, uh, Professor Francis Sue, in the first place? Were there any mathematicians who particularly inspired you? I, I suppose I got interested in math, um, maybe not because of particular people as much as it was being fascinated by particular ideas. I mean, I remember as a kid, uh, my one of my parents' friends um, asked me if I knew how to add all the numbers from 1 to 100 quickly. Uh, and of course, I had, had no idea that this was a problem apocryphally given to Gauss when he was a young kid. Uh, and Gauss was immediately able to answer that, you know, the sum of the numbers from 1 to 100 is 5,050. Uh, and of course, I couldn't do this immediately. Uh, but my my parents' friend uh, showed me, said, well, here's one way you do it. And this is apparently how, how, um, how Gauss did it. Uh, uh, you can pair up the numbers 1 and 100, which add up to 101. You can pair up the number 2 and 99 which also adds up to 101. You can pair up the number three and 98, that also adds up to 101. And if you just keep doing this, you get 50 pairs that add up to 101. And 50 times 101 is 50, 50, 5,050. And so, you know, when I saw that, I, I remember being really stunned and impressed intrigued and impressed, right? Like, whoa, you know, suddenly a problem that seemed really hard became really easy when you look at it the right way. Uh, and so that, uh, I think, uh, showed me some of the power and the wonder of mathematics, that somehow um, you can reason through things with your mind and understand and, and do, do sort of amazing things um, just with the power of your of thinking. Uh, and so I, I remember as even as a young kid being fascinated by that. Maybe that was one of the first glimpses of mathematical beauty that I, I saw. Uh, and so, you know, from there, I, I, I wanted to learn more and more. Obviously, math is a, a way bigger subject than just arithmetic. And, you know, over time, I'm, you know, I think in high school, I got interested in number theory. Uh, and, uh, and of course, in college, I got interested in some of the, the, the fascinations of topology, the study of shapes and surfaces and how you can stretch them. Yeah, so maybe that's just a, a good place to, to, to uh, begin in, in describing, you know, some of the unfolding um, wonders that mathematics offered me. 
uh, yes, like I say, a little bit what inspired me. I mean, I guess like with religious life, there's a, this, the saying that uh, what inspires you to to join a religious order is not the same reason why you stay to be in religious order. And uh, I would like with mathematics. I mean, I think my I think my initial inspiration was probably my my big sister uh, going off to Cambridge to study mathematics. She was five years older than me. And I thought this was amazing and seeing the beautiful surroundings of Cambridge coming up to her uh, to visit her. So I found that very inspiring when I was growing up and I wanted to follow in my sister's footsteps. But this is not a particularly good reason to remain being a mathematician. And I really wanted to really discover something beautiful. And so I, I was really captivated by, by that. And I mean, we talk, might be talking a little bit about the beauty of mathematics later on, but that was certainly uh, an inspiration. And I think now, I think living a, a religious life is, is also a way of participating in beauty. So it's not entirely different motivation for what I'm doing now as a, as a Catholic priest and Dominican friar. You mentioned the topology, I think, um, like a structure, like a study of shapes and structures. And um, I went to Harry Potter World, well, not really, the Harry Potter Studios, really, in Watford yesterday for the second time. And and you can see all the sketches for all the architectural things that you had to build and design and things. And you're just like, gosh, it's actually mathematics. And I think we'll talk about the beauty of it in, in a few minutes. But, yeah, it's just that actually there is a lot to mathematics and just, you know, numbers and things. So, yeah, it's really fascinating. Um, and speaking of, I guess, uh, people like me who don't really know much about mathematics, or although I really shouldn't say this because I'm a head of biology at a school and I think you should have a certain level of mathematics, but... Um, I don't know a lot about it, and I think a lot of our listeners would have studied mathematics at secondary school, so we call them GCSEs in the UK, and so in high school um, for Professor Sue. So in in classes, you know, they, they learn about things like uh, you know, algebra, geometry, probability, and they they've studied these subjects, and but but you know, they never kind of grasp like what mathematics actually is. So do you think that there is a an agreed definition of what mathematics is and you know what encompasses all of these different kind of subcategories that I just mentioned. Well, I think one way that is off mathematics is often described as is the science of patterns. Uh, and I like that. I like that description. It captures a lot. I mean you could also think of mathematics as the study of of a certain kind of order and uh, structure to be found in logical systems or logical reasoning. Uh, but I like the science of patterns because it's easy for people to wrap their minds around. I would probably add to that that math isn't just a science. It's not just something you, you do. And it's, it's also a way of uh, thinking. It's also an art in some sense. And so I like to say math is a science of patterns and the art of engaging meaningfully with those patterns. And when I, when I say art, I, I am referring to the fact that there is a certain culture around mathematics that you know involves at deciding which questions are interesting questions to study right and so there's an art to choosing interesting questions there's an art to deciding what's what's important to focus on and so yeah so there's both the science aspect and the art aspect and maybe that's you know the art aspect is is what many of us i think father Vero is referring to this as well is to think of as the beautiful side of mathematics and unfortunately, most kids only see the sort of science part of it, potentially, and maybe not the art part of it. Yeah, so I, I could uh, you know, just add to that. I, mean, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I, all the time at university with studying mathematics, no one ever sort of you know, told us what mathematics actually is. So uh, is, I mean, I guess this wasn't a kind of question that, that 
people thought was, uh, you know, if you're actually studying calculus or analysis or whatever, or group theory, you didn't actually need to know what a sort of a definition of mathematics was that sort of encapsulated everything. Uh, but this is something that I have read about in, in studying philosophy in my training for, for the priesthood. And uh, you know, coming back to St. Thomas Aquinas following Aristotle, he did give a, a definition of mathematics. And this, of course, you know, a lot has happened in the last 800 years since St. Thomas Aquinas was alive. So it's, you know, it's still debatable about whether his definition of mathematics is still relevant today. But I think there's something still going for it. And But what he said about mathematics, um, well, he really has sort of two definitions. So one definition is really the study of being sort of existing things insofar as they are quantifiable. And so something as a quantity is something that can be divisible into constitutive parts. And I think, well, I think this has come to patterns because patterns have parts to them. So, so they could be sort of a quantity in some kind of sense. But also uh, another definition of, of mathematics as, as a science is the way that we think about material things, but in a but sort of abstracting from the sort of material particularity of the things. So something like with a triangle, you already have like triangular bits of paper, but you sort of you study the sort of the, the, the shape of the triangular bits of paper without actually thinking about the particularity of the matter which that, that paper is made. So it's this kind of level of abstraction from, it's a, a way of thinking about material things, but sort of ignoring some, some of the sort of particularity about things. So there's these kind of two sort of definitions of mathematics that, that Aquinas gives. And uh, and I think there's kind of a, a lot to, to be said for these uh, definitions, although they are kind of quite controversial. People kind of come up with examples of you know, trying to uh, say counter examples to why this definition doesn't work. But I'm, I'm, uh, I'm attracted to it. So. Yeah, I really, I really like that. I, I was not aware of Aquinas's uh, definition, but I, I do think that the, uh, the, the study of, of, quantity or quantifying things that is that is an important part of what it means to do math and patterns have sort of repeated regularity and that's kind of a, a theme in math as well as you see something that looks like something else and so the abstraction is the thing that's important right you see a triangular piece of paper or maybe you see you know three you know lighthouses in a configuration and you think triangle because that's that's the common feature to both of these these particular things and so that's i think an important important to understand about abstraction like most people think of abstraction as something you do to strip the meaning away uh, whereas i like to think of abstraction as actually enriching the meaning of what you're seeing right like i see these two things i see that they're related and the abstraction helps me see that they're related yeah, oftentimes I see that there are two camps. So as we've been talking about, those that really like mathematics as the kind of science that makes sense of abstractions. But then also, it's there are also these people who really like mathematics because of its usefulness, its applicability to the sciences. So, and at school, often students say, why is this useful? And then others say, well, you don't study it because it's useful per se, but it's interesting or it's beautiful. So when you make that statement, can you give any examples of, of beautiful mathematics? Or is there a key characteristic of, of mathematical beauty that appears in certain 
objects or theorems? Well, I think, um, I mean, I, I very much did mathematics because of the beauty of it. And in order way, you sort of, I mean, I did a, a branch of mathematics called pure mathematics, and that's you kind of almost pride yourself well in its uselessness although it turns out that pure mathematics is incredibly useful but you you don't you don't do it because it's useful you do it because you you know you're kind of engaging in in some kind of 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 beauty and so i think one of the sort of things about characteristic of beauty in this this idea of sort of this unity in plurality and sort of so something like a it's almost kind of it's sort of almost paradoxical, really. So, so something mathematicians find very beautiful is symmetry, and symmetry is like you look at things in different ways, but they look exactly the same. So this is kind of this plurality, and there's all these many symmetries, but everything looks the same under this symmetry. And so there's this unity and plurality, and really, it's it kind of gives I think it gives us a sort of delight in 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 studying uh, sort of a really reality and mathematical reality and this finding the unity and all this kind of plurality it allows you to see really that there is a kind of underlying simplicity to something that seems very complicated at first and so that is you know i think that that's kind of it gets me really excited when you have like two very different branches of mathematics and then suddenly there's some kind of deep underlying principle that unites them so i think that's that's very beautiful and and even kind of very sort of sort of uh a fairly sort of uh, basic level of mathematics, the kind of mathematics that people do in school, like with something like like Pythagoras's theorem. This is the theorem that you have the square of the hypotenuse is the sum of the square of the two adjacent sides. That's a, a in a way, this is a, a you've got two sort of rather different realms. You've got algebra. You've got the so a squared plus b squared equals c squared, and then you also got geometry, the geometry of triangles. And so it might not initially seem, you know, you know, what does what what do triangles and and algebra have to do each other? And 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 so these is, but it but it's a sort of Pythagoras' theorem sort of brings a kind of unity to these two different uh, sort of subdisciplines of mathematics. And I think that's something that uh, you know I really like about mathematics, and it's sort of in a way that it, 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 it I see sort of a beauty in this unity in plurality. I think almost anyone would be able to mention Pythagoras' theorem, right? I think that's something quite beautiful as well, that I think it's quite universal. People sort of remember it, I guess, from secondary school days or, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think a number of people have tried to describe what, what beauty uh, looks like, uh, and certainly simplicity is is one thing that strikes people as beautiful, the simplicity of a certain idea that, that seems to, to show up everywhere, as, as Father Robert was referring to. One of the, the things that I alluded to earlier was the sometimes striking nature of things that you can do with math, right? Like the idea that you can add up 100 numbers quickly by looking at things a certain way. So that's another aspect where by looking at a problem from multiple perspectives, you gain a greater understanding through the many different routes. So that's another thing that, that mathematicians often do. They want to see all the different ways you can understand Pythagorean, the Pythagorean theorem, right? So there's probably a hundred different proofs of the Pythagorean theorem that are, you know, that are quite different in nature. Someone mathematically inclined isn't just satisfied of knowing one of those proofs, right, which might be through algebra. Another one might be through geometry. And suddenly you, you forged a link between algebra and geometry. 
So that's uh, that's that's part of the aspect there of, of math that it, it can be very beautiful is seeing many different points of view on the same object. Yeah, I guess not only a result can be beautiful, but also the way, so the proof itself can be beautiful. But in the progress of proving these beautiful theorems, sometimes bridging two different disciplines of mathematics, can we sometimes be led astray by this concept of beauty? Can there be something like broken symmetry where we are maybe tempted to think that the result or will, will be beautiful, but instead uh, mathematical truth won't be, there won't be a result of, of, of beauty? Yeah, I, I see the, phys the, the physicist in you, Stefan, the, the, broke, the symmetry breaking. Yeah, I, that, that's, a, that's an important philosophical question, right? Does everything that is true have to be beautiful, right? Uh, and, and certainly, it's, I, one of the principles that runs throughout physics and, and math is this idea of, of Occam's razor, right? Like the idea that somehow, you know, you're, you're led to, to things that are, you know, the, the, the truth is somehow um, simple. But... I don't. I don't know that I necessarily buy into that because we also understand that the truth is also sometimes very complex, right? Like if you want to talk about the nature of infinity, we used to think all infinite sets were really somehow the same, and and that notion was is completely blown out of the water by Cantor and and many others who followed uh, that revealed sort of the intricate nature of of infinity, and yet. I think people would still find that beautiful um, uh, because there are some simple ideas that run throughout that. It's just not the, the beauty that you thought you would look for. So I don't know that um, I don't know that you can predict what mathematical beauty is going to look like, but in hindsight, you you recognize it when you see it. Yeah. So yeah, and I think um, yeah. Um, because beauty, it's kind of not like a an on-off switch. I think there's kind of degrees of of beauty and different kinds of beauty, and maybe some things. I mean, I think something with beauty, things can be beautiful in ways that are kind of completely uh, um, uh, surprising. Um, so, but um, so I think in a way, there should be a, a degree of beauty to to all truth. But maybe not in the way that we we expect it. Uh, but just I mean coming back to maybe this kind of idea of 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 unity and in plurality. I think well with with a, with a kind of a mathematical proof, you have all these kind of different statements uh, that have to kind of form a unified whole to sort of uh, to to get to your uh, to, to your result. So they all your ideas have to kind of fit together in some kind of way if they I mean but not any way of, of fitting together is going to work so even if, if, if your ideas are, are confused then that's not that's not beautiful mathematics but I think there is a kind of a uh, when you see the, how all the kind of ideas uh, fit together I think this is a uh, you know you want your ideas to fit together when you're doing mathematics so there, so I think there should be some kind of beauty from from uh, that point of view um, but um, but again but when you talk about the you know mathematical truth that's one thing but then there's also the, the, like truth mathematical truths about about physical reality and and then it yeah, sometimes our kind of search for mathematical beauty in in physics might lead us uh, astray so there's I mean one sort of a uh, uh, 
theory about contemporary physics is, is supersymmetry, and it is a kind of very uh, beautiful uh, theory about how you have all these fundamental particles which have sort of a, a supersymmetric particle uh, partners and it's in a very attractive theory that solves a number of problems in theoretical physics but unfortunately there's absolutely no uh, experimental evidence for the existence of these uh, supermetric uh, uh, particles so so but, so maybe the, the the physical reality isn't beautiful in the particular way that that supersymmetry uh, uh, describes reality but uh, well we don't know yet maybe we will discover it there is supersymmetry in in, in nature, um, but uh, but be, be, but we trust that that beauty is going. To, nature is still going to be beautiful in, in some kind of way or another. That's uh, and a way I think it's well well uh, 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 what, what, and a traditional understanding of God is is God is entirely simple. Um, that 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 God is uh, is is immaterial and 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 is is perfectly simple. And so and I think in a way you know looking at at nature and trying to to look for the simplicity in in nature, it, it was almost a kind of a, sort of a theological aspiration, trying to find out how nature sort of reflects the simplicity of God. So, and so I think that is a kind of can be a sort of a, a, a guiding principle um, that that trying to sort of discover that simplicity in nature it is. I think it's a kind of very noble thing to be doing, uh, but we have to be you know ready for surprises that things might be beautiful in ways that are, are very surprising to us. One of the, the, um, the chapters in my book is talks about uh, mathematical beauty. And um, in, in that uh, exposition, I tried to distinguish between different kinds of mathematical beauty, right? There's the, the beauty of objects, which is kind of like what happens when you walk into a cathedral and you see beautiful geometric patterns. But there's also the beauty of ideas. Right, that the fact that certain ideas themselves can can be beautiful, like um, you know Pythagorean theorem. But then there's also the beauty of reasoning. So it, as Stefan alluded to earlier, it's not just the ideas themselves that are important and interesting, but the way you reason about them. So if there are a hundred different proofs of the Pythagorean theorem, that somehow you know um, uh, diff different people might disagree about which ones they find most beautiful, uh, and then sort of over. Above all, each of those three things, you know, the beauty of objects, ideas, and reasoning, um, there's sort of a deeper kind of beauty, which I, I call transcendent beauty. Uh, and this sort of borders on the, the mysterious, right? Maybe even the religious. Like the question, it, 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 you know, when you see the same beautiful object, idea, or reasoning pop up in multiple places, it's, it can feel profound, right? It can feel like the universe is has opened up and is revealing something very deep about its nature, right? Like the idea that symmetry is, you know, comes up as a theme everywhere, right? That's, there's something transcendent about studying symmetry. Uh, and, um, and so that, that can be sort of hard to grasp, but it's, I mean, I, I liken it to what C.S. Lewis uh, described as um, uh, what, how, how that kind of beauty strikes you. It's it's like um, I think he said uh, it's like it's like um, the scent of a flower we have not found uh, news from a country we have not visited. So it, it, it's like this: you see something, so you see these amazing connections between geometry and algebra, and you're like, wait a minute, why is that there? Like, why is there this amazing underlying reality? 
uh, and that that can strike uh, I can strike one you know pretty deeply in the soul. But mathematics is also mysterious. No one has ever seen the number two floating around, and it gets even more mysterious when mathematicians start talking about infinity and imaginary numbers such as the square root of minus one. Where do these mathematical objects exist, or does mathematics point to a non-physical reality? I think it does. I mean, I, I certainly uh, think that, I mean, there's a paradox here, right? The paradox is just as you described, but I think Einstein also said it. How can it be that things that we imagine in our minds actually, you know, so, you know, could describe the world we live in, right? Like things that we constructed with our mind. And so um, I do think of math as both um, constructed but also uh, existing outside ourselves. And that's part of the paradox here, right? There's the paradox of, of the fact that I can come up with a proof of the Pythagorean theorem. And yet somebody 400 years before me could have done the same thing. We came up with exactly the same proof. How is that possible? Well, it, it points to some reality that exists outside ourselves, the platonic reality that some, some philosophers describe, I think is a good way of putting it. Um, I think that, you know, what we try to do in this show, in our series, really, is we explore how science and faith relate to each other. And as as a Christian, have you ever thought much about that relationship between mathematics and, and the Christian faith? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's hard not to be somebody who is a person of faith uh, and and not ask, you know, how does this relate to the work that I do? Uh, I... Um, I think there's some interesting connections between science, uh, mathematics in particular, and uh, and faith. I mean, I think they're both pursuits of truth, for instance. I think they are trying to access different kinds of truth. I think spiritual truths in one case and and mathematical truths in the other. But they do border on deep questions, like what does it mean to be infinite, right? Our, our, in our faith, uh, we talk about God being infinite in mathematics. We have a notion of what infinity means. And I think they can both inform each other, right? I think that, you know, my training as a mathematical scientist, having some understanding of how complex the, the notion of infinity is, gives, I think, a richer meaning to, to me when I when I talk think about God as being infinite. Uh, and certainly my, my own faith uh, inclinations give me a greater awe and, and appreciation in a different way, perhaps, uh, uh, about mathematical things that I think are wond wondrous. And so I think, you know, I think one of the things that I found uh, about relating mathematics and uh, Christian faith is just the kind of the beauty of mathematics and um, this, this kind of this transcendent beauty that sort of <laughs> unites the whole of reality together. And I, so I find that very uh, inspiring um, you know, as as a Christian, um, just uh, just marveling at the beauty and just uh, thinking, about, you know, where does where does all this beauty come from? And, and I think uh, just realizing that there's beauty on so many sort of uh, uh, levels of of creation. Uh, I think sometimes with mathematical beauty, it, it's going to be you know do do a lot of hard work to to discern the beauty there, but it is there uh, deep down and uh, when the when you know, even sort of Greek philosophers uh, like Plato, 
know, said that all that is beautiful is difficult. Uh, so it, discovering beauty is is very challenging. But certainly, it's it it can always be like like a uh, you know a spiritual quest for for for, for beauty and 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 simplicity. Um, but also, I, I guess I am you know, uh, also I'm interested in also the limits of of mathematics as well. So I think that mathematics points beyond itself. So I think that you can't understand the whole of reality in terms of mathematics. So I think, and I think it's sort of sort of trying to be open to uh, you know, the, the the beauty of mathematics pointing beyond itself, so that we don't kind of sort of kind of reduce everything to mathematics. And so that's a kind of interesting thing that I like to to think about about. Uh, you know how how can there be something beyond mathematics? Well, so. yeah, I don't think we want to fall into a sort of reductionism of sorts. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that's a really important point. Do any any names come up for you? Any mathematicians who explored theology? And well, I think Isaac Newton is probably a really a typical example. I would say a really common, well-known example. Blaise Pascal is another person who I who's a personal hero uh, of mine uh, and uh, has, I think, a lot of writings that are both in, you know, related to theology and, and mathematics. Stefan mentioned that one would come up. So uh, well done, Stefan, you got that one right. Yeah, so I, don't, I know that Blaise Pascal has been an inspiration to many people because of Pascal's wager. This is the, you know, the, 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 the betting that, that is, that is, you know, best to, to to bet that God exists because uh, you know that you know the reward is is infinite, and if you if you uh, and the loss is if infinite, if you if you bet against God, whereas uh, it with um, you only have to gain something finite by by betting against God existing. So it's a kind of a you know a, an argument that some people uh, uh, have been convinced why 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 we should be be Christians. Uh, but uh, many other other kind of you know, Great mathematicians, also theologians, as a like Thomas Bayes, who was a, a an English statistician, philosopher, and Presbyterian minister, and he's a uh, famous for coming up with that uh, Bayes theorem. We actually talked about Bayes theorem uh, in our previous series when we were talking about uh, uh, the statistical evidence for, for for God based on on testimony and how how you know the testimony of 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 twelve people will be sufficient to make it uh, incredibly uh, likely that. That their testimony is true, even if they're kind of what they're testifying is it seems highly improbable on our kind of individual basis. If you have, you know, Bayes' theorem gives you a way of understanding that if you have 12 people testifying to the same thing, then it was almost certainly true. And this is a, a theory by this uh, uh, ultimately Bayes' theorem is it, it, by by uh, this Presbyterian minister. So, so but then so I mean, I mean. Um, in, in earlier times, you know, most people who were, uh, many people who went to, to to university would have been studying theology as well. So it's kind of rather hard to sort of separate uh, theology and, and mathematics and, uh, and and the natural sciences. Uh, you know, if you go before the uh, um, um, uh, sort of modern times, you know, everybody would have been both a theologian and, and a mathematician just, mm -hmm. uh, and, a, and a natural scientist. That was just the, the basic education that everybody got. You know, in in many ways, you know, mathematicians, whether you are spiritual or not, whether you're religious or not, um, often talk about math in, in kind of spiritual terms, uh, and because it's you know it's profound, it's 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 deep, it's transcendent in in some ways. Uh, the difference, of course, is for a person of of who's not a person of faith is is 
you know, you, that, that you revere the object itself, you revere mathematics in some way. Um, whereas for a person of faith, you, you don't necessarily revere the math as much as what it reveals about, uh, about God, for instance. And, uh, and that's, I think, an important distinction uh, that it, we don't worship the creation in some sense. We, we um, uh, honor and revere the creator who made the mathematics. We feel that somehow the, in some ways, personally, I, you know, I feel that when I'm understanding mathematics, it reveals something about the mind of, of, of God. God is logical. God is, you know, beautiful, et cetera. Um, I think something, Father Robert was talking about 12 and it sort of um, prompted the question that I think I really wanted an answer to when we were planning this episode, which is about, I think you can call it numerology of sorts, you know, many references and, you know, is there actually an importance to the, to these numbers that appear in the Bible? So you have the 12 apostles, the, the 12 apostles, the 12 tribes of Israel, then book of Revelation, you have seven churches, seven lampstands, seven stars, seven angels. So do you think that is this actually, is this a thing? Is something happening? Is there a numerology? Is there symbolism behind these numbers? Uh yeah, yeah. I mean, there's kind of lots of theories about how <laughs> numbers fit into uh, the the Bible, even even a book of numbers. <laughs> but but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think well, the thing about um, uh, there's a sort of these numbers tend to be sort of built up from from three and four. So three is this sort of divine number, sort of um, really pointing to 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 God, to the 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 God who was and who is and who is to come. So this, uh, um, this, um, there's this this Trinitarian uh, understanding of God, which even sort of predates sort of uh, uh, the, um, um, the the New Testament. There's sort of elements of this uh, the, the, this threeness associated with 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 the divine. Um, and uh, I mean, like in in the, in the Book of Revelation, there's uh, there's also this. Uh, uh, like the, the three woes, which also almost associated with uh, the 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 God who who kind of um, uh, judges the world with these <laughs> these kind of levels of 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 of, um, uh, of 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 punishment. So there's this um, there's this sort of threeness that you sort of see uh, you know associated with with with, with both both the, the holiness of God and also with the, the wrath of God, and, and you see this in the Bible. Uh, and then you also have the, you can have the number four, which really corresponds to uh, what is on the earth. So you have like the the, the four is like the the, the four uh, elements in 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 a sort of a, the ancient world. They thought there were four elements of earth, air, fire, and water. They were like the, they thought there was the four the four winds, the four directions in north, uh, south, east, and west. And so um, there has this um, uh, idea of of four corresponding to uh, what what is earthly. But then you have Three times four, which is twelve, which is a, a kind of a, this kind of level of, of of perfection, where you have both the the, the divine and the the um, earthly uh, sort of realm sort of uh, united together, and so you have all these you know, uh, think about things like that, like the the, the twelve uh, tribes of, of of Israel, and you know, like there's twelve gates of Jerusalem, and you know there's uh, the twelve foundations. Um, of of the city, so there's so there's this sort of a um, 
this uh, at 12 is this kind of perfect number, this you know, uh, combination of, of, of the three corresponding to the divine and the four corresponding to the earthly realm. And then also you've got, when you, when you add three and four together, you get seven. So that's another way that have this kind of uh, completeness um, uh, that seven uh, uh, signifies completeness in, in a different way from how 12 signifies completeness. And so you have like, like you have seven days um, uh, in, in, in a week, for instance, and, and in, in the book of, um, 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 uh, in, in the book of Revelation, it talks about you have the, all these sevens appearing, like the, the seven seals, uh, which the seven angels have, and the seven trumpets, and this, the, there's, there's all these sevens that, that uh, appear in the book of Revelation that correspond to this, this kind of completeness, this, this three plus four, but then, then you've got the number six, which is one less than seven, which stands for sort of uh, what, what's incomplete. So like sin is missing the mark. So six, it just falls short of seven. So, so six can sort of stand for uh, what is evil. And so you have the, 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 like in the book of Revelation, you have the name of the beast, which is uh, 666. And there's also a question about how that, you know, uh, you know who that refers to. And uh, and again, there's a kind there's a kind of code. Uh, well, there's kind of various interpretations of, of what six 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 actually it, it, you know refers to a person. Um, and and this the 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 standard well in, interpretation or common interpretation is that it was just referring to the uh, em, uh, emperor sort of uh, Nero Caesar. Has this come up for you, uh, Professor Sue? Any of these thoughts before? Yeah, I I mean I. I... I don't, um, I guess I, I don't see any particular um, mathematical, interesting mathematical questions that come from this. I mean, I think there that numbers uh, do play a big role in, um, uh, in symbolizing things uh, in the Bible, uh, but I, I don't attach any particular special mathematical um, insights to them uh, as much as just recognizing that because people revere numbers, uh, that because there is a sort of this mystical connection um, to understanding things that are fundamental, um, that they would somehow also appear in uh, in uh, in the Bible. Yeah, and ultimately the Bible is um, divinely inspired by God, whom we would uh, attribute the properties of perfectness or perfection and completeness. Professor Sue, you've mentioned something before. Um, does God have to follow the laws of logic as well, or can he contradict himself? For instance, some people might bring up the following question when attempting to disprove God's omnipotence. Can God make a stone so heavy that he cannot lift it himself? I think many philosophers have, have devoted some deep thought to this question, and I, I would agree with um, with uh, many of those who say that God's omnipotence is... Um, it doesn't make sense to talk about God doing something that's against his nature and contradiction isn't going to be part of God's nature. So it's kind of meaningless to, to uh, ask that question. Um, I think you could, um, it may be father Vero could, you know, point to Aquinas, uh, uh, who I think wrote about this as well. I, I don't see any inherent, um, problem with that. I don't think God's omnipotence is, is, um, going to be limited by things that he that are just against his nature 
it, it's like asking if God can lie. I mean, that would be kind of ridiculous because that would be against his nature and, and that, that wouldn't fall within the bounds of, of omnipotence. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's yep. right. Cause I, cause I think it's, well, things like um, when you're thinking about what God can't do, I mean, cause there's a, things like he, he can't sin, but that's not any kind of limitation of his power. So, but I think also interesting thinking about, well, the fact that, uh, well, of Jesus Christ is true God and true man. And uh, God created a cross, which Jesus Christ couldn't carry by himself. He needed Simon of Cyrene to help him carry that cross. Um, but that doesn't um, really uh, limit the power of God. And I think got, what comes to mind is the saying of, of, of St. Paul into the, to, when he says that, um, you know, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So it's almost like we, <laughs> the fact that you know God is is so powerful that He can come into the world as a, a man who reveals the power of God in His weakness. So, uh, so the things that God uh, can't do in no way um, mean that he is not, uh, he lacks omnipotence. I think this reveals a lot about God's nature, but God's nature is still mysterious in a way. And mathematics is also mysterious, as we've already discussed. In mathematics, axioms are the fundamental building blocks, self evident truths. For example, one of the piano axioms is that each natural number has a, has a successor. So the question is, can we get to know God better by finding more fundamental axioms? I think just, just like anything non-mathematical, the, the, I think the creation reveals things about God, right? I mean, mathematics, I think, shows us that God is, um, is logical uh, and, uh, and orderly and values uh, values these things. Um, and so, yeah, maybe your question is about, about axioms. I mean, one of the things that, that, that is related to, I think axioms that axioms are choices that we make, right? Like you, you could have mathematics built on a set of axioms, but you could also, for instance, choose potentially different axioms that would create the same mathematics because mathematics is, you know, logically consistent. The question is, what do you want it to rest on? And, um, and of course, the work of Girdle, I think, shows that not, not every axiom system that we want to, to be able to, to use to prove all true theorems is, is going to be complete. There'll be, always be something missing. But what you fill it in with, uh, I think, could vary uh, depending on uh, what kinds of features or, or questions are important to you. Um, Professor, do you think that, um, I mean, it might be a really naive question, um, but can uh, mathematics point us to God in any way? Or like, is there anything that any axioms or things that, that, you know, can point us to God or can help us discover any of his attributes or any, any sort of, it, the question might not even make any sense or might not be answerable, but. Yeah, I, I guess I, yeah, I guess I don't think of axioms as serving that role. Uh, I mean, just to give an example, you know, for a, for a while we, mathematicians worked with a set of axioms that, you know, at some point we thought maybe this, these could prove it every true statement. And then uh, we realized that, you know, that you need another axiom to at least prove some things that you didn't have before. This is called the axiom of choice. 
But the axiom of choice had two other manifestations, right? Zorn's lemma, the well-ordering principle, whatever those things are, um, that they're sort of important in different domains. And they're all three of these things are equivalent. And, uh, and you could add any of them to this, the current set of axioms, the Zermelo-Franco axioms, and, and get the same system, right? And so the choice of which of those axioms you pick is, is, is really only relevant depending on the, the kind of application you, know, you have. So I, I don't know that the, the, I think the choices of axioms themselves are, are partly culturally determined, although you, know, you see which ones are more important by how, how often they're used. Um, that being said, I think mathematics itself points to God, but not necessarily through the axioms. It just, it, they reveal something about God's nature. I don't think it necessarily reveals the Christian God, um, but it reveals that uh, that if there is a creator, the creator has certain attributes. That's certainly I would agree with. Yeah, because that's also in, in St. Um, Thomas Aquinas, he actually gives an argument for why you can't prove um, that the God is our God is a Trinitarian God through um, principles of reason that you can't have a proof of God's based on sort of self-evident principles that God is a trinity of persons. And the reason for his uh, argument, that we, the argument that he gives to why you can't prove this, is that uh, when we look at um, the, the world around us, we deduce um, the, something about the cause from the effects that we see in the world. So if you sort of talk about mathematics, you know, that, that mathematics is, is like you know, caused by God. Um, but... But the, the, the three persons, in faith we believe that the three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, are completely united in, in, in their act of creation. So, so because of their complete unity in everything that they do and bring it, sustaining everything in, in being, then seeing the effects of um, we, that we see in, in creation, this is not enough information to um, deduce the distinction of the persons of the Trinity. So our ability to to human to use our human reason to reason from effects to cause will tell us that there is a kind of fundamental cause holding everything in being, but it is not enough information to tell us about the distinctions of the the persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so this this truth, uh, which is at the heart of our uh, Christian faith, can only be revealed to us by God himself telling us of his personal identity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Who is the best mathematician? Well, I guess it depends on what you mean by a mathematician. So if you mean that a mathematician is um, someone who um, engages in, in sort of um, um, rational discourse going through a process of thinking from one statement to another statement to draw a conclusion, then, well, God <laughs> doesn't think in that way. God knows everything in one single act of understanding this sort of deep intuition. In his one single act of uh, uh, in intuition, he understands everything that that was and will be and, and will be to come. So so God doesn't reason in the same way as, as human mathematicians uh, a uh, uh, reason um but you could say well i mean uh, insofar as as jesus christ has a a human nature then then jesus christ uh, would be able to to to, to reason uh, as as a mathematician reasons um 
And so, so in a way, that would make that make Jesus <laughs> the best uh, mathematician in 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 that sense. Um, but there's also it could also mean something like a mathematician, someone who who has um, who understands mathematics on the deepest level possible. And then uh, in that way, I'd say that 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 all three persons are are equally united in in being the, the best mathematician. That that in there's there's um, so so in, in, in they they all um, are are, uh, are uniquely perfect together in their their grasp of 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 understanding mathematics. So whereas we have to kind of go through a long laborious process of looking at lots of different individual examples of, of things to draw mathematical conclusions, uh, all three persons of the Trinity understand uh, in just one single act of intuition or everything there is to understand about mathematics so so in that sense i'd say that that uh, that all three uh, persons of the trinity are equally good at mathematics <laughs> I, I take that as a, a bit of a, a humorous question so i, I mean i part of what you're getting at i really think it was to... serious i actually oh, think oh really serious, so, <laughs> i see yeah. i see <laughs> i see well i i yeah i guess i i'm not i, I wouldn't uh I wouldn't. I wouldn't weigh in on that question. Then probably it's it's above my pay grade. I think um, it was serious in that question. But anyway, anyway, uh, great question to finish with, Stefan. Thank you. Um, for me, you know, I don't really know a lot about mathematics, but there is a quote that probably sums it up pretty well. I think also around this episode is the a quote by um, Indian mathematician Ramanujan. Uh, what was the, the the film called, Father Robert? You mentioned it. The, the Man the Who Knew Infinity. Infinity. Yeah, so great great film to watch. Um, really inspirational. And he's been you know, quoted to say, he said, an equation means nothing to me unless it expresses a thought of God. So I think probably that's uh, something that sums up everything that I've heard of today pretty, pretty well. But I would like your take-home message for our listeners. We always do this, just, you know, a couple of sentences. What would you like them to take away from from today oh well i'd say that um in mathematics we see uh the, the beauty of uh, god reflected uh, in the deepest sort of level of um of of our created order so i think you know, we see, i think also think about what what saint paul says to the romans he says ever since the creation of the world uh, God's invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity, have been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. And I think we see this especially in mathematics. Yeah, I I, uh, I would agree with that. I, I think that uh, mathematics is a quest for a particular kind of truth. And uh, I think our listeners should not fear mathematics. Uh, it is something that uh, is is tightly bound with our ability to think and to reason, which are God-given gifts to us. And we should um, not only experience them because they're useful, but experience them because they're beautiful. And they gives us, give us a window into, uh, into what it really means to be uh, a human uh, and indeed spiritual person. Once again, only gratitude in our hearts to our guests, Professor Sue and Father Robert. Thank you for making this conversation possible. To our listeners, thank you for listening and being part of Radio Maria England Science and Faith. It's been an absolute pleasure as always. This is Marta speaking. And this is Stefan speaking. See you next time. <laughs>
God bless.